We jump into our series in the middle of it on evangelism is what we're talking about. We've been, I've been thinking about it for weeks and weeks in the scripture. We have a kind of a theme scripture from Acts 18. Uh, Paul is in a kind of crossroads of his ministry. He has a difficult time in Corinth, and he's not sure if he's going to stay there, and the church is going to be planted and established. He had some, uh, there was some opposition, very small group. Most theologians put it around 40 people, maximum of 100 people. That's how, this, how fledgling this work was. And the Lord speaks to him in the night by vision. And this is what God says to him in Acts 18, 9 and 10. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision. Do not be afraid. You're not going to live your life, your Christian life. You're not going to communicate with people on the basis of fear. Do not be afraid. But speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. We spoke on this verse the first week of the series. We're not going to live in fear. We're going to, because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. We're going to speak and not be silent. That's a command of God. It's in the red. And in our Christian lives and in this culture. So that's kind of our theme scripture. So go to John chapter 3, our primary text today. John chapter 3, the gospel of John in your Bibles or your apps or whatever you want to use. Last week we spoke about verse 1 through 8 from John chapter 3. Nicodemus is a, a leader Really, he's the leader, the Bible says, of the synagogue, of the Sanhedrin. He is sent as a delegation. He's one man at night, but he says in the text, we know that you're of God. We we know something's more than just humanity here. So he's kind of representing a a group of Jewish people, but he doesn't understand salvation. He clearly doesn't understand the person and work of Christ yet, but who, who did fully until the cross? So he communicates with Jesus, and Jesus says, unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. I'm an expert in the law. How can these things be? So Jesus walks him through this regeneration by the Spirit, through the blood of the cross, which is coming soon. And then we pick up, we're going to read John 3, 9 through 15, the second half of the conversation here. We couldn't leave it only half done like from last week. So the second half. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be, this whole born-again thing? Are you, so Jesus comes in, he says, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Here is a Trinitarian conversation. Three we's. We, this is the, Trinitar- the Trinity in conversation. If I have told you earthly things and you did not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. We'll come back to that. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Well, let's learn some new things from the Word of God. 
Let's ask the Lord to give us this understanding. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we honor it. We thank you that it never returns void. So let it go deep into our hearts and our minds. And we are asking and expecting a harvest, Lord. Lord, a harvest that would glorify your name, a harvest that would proclaim the salvation through Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You can get behind that prayer, huh? All right, let's look at this. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher? Or what does your Bible say? The teacher, doesn't it? Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? The That's like saying, who's the best basketball player on the planet? That's not a, the. Jesus communicates to him, listen, Nicodemus, I I know what's going on in this culture. I know that everyone's looking to you. I know that you're actually called the premier spiritual leader of the synagogue. Are you the teacher of Israel? And this regeneration thing is you're, you're lost here? See, what Jesus is saying, the question clearly implies that the doctrine of regeneration, this new birth, is so disclosed in the Old Testament that Nicodemus was culpable of being ignorant of it. Like, Nicodemus, you should know this is talked about in the Old Testament, that no fallen man can be spiritually alive without regeneration. Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? This is, this is pretty harsh. Jesus coming down. Why is Jesus being so direct? Why is he putting, why is he painting Nicodemus in a corner? Jesus didn't do this a lot. And when he did, it was very clear. He always forked the road for people. It was in just an amazing love, miraculous way, whether it was miracles or love or whatever. But this is a very direct, why? Nicodemus espouted something that, that, was an affront to the nature of God. And this is what it is. Number one on your notes. Jesus condemns all forms of unbelief. This, how can these things be? Jesus goes right to him and says, okay, now listen to me, teacher of the law. Unbelief. What does the Bible say? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Nicodemus, you should know this because Abraham talked about it. Abraham said that he was justified by faith. Isaac talked about it. Jacob talked about it. Moses talked about it. The prophets talked about it. King David sung about it. You should know, Nicodemus, right? This unbelief is not going to work in the heart of someone seeking me. And if you want to know salvation, you're going to have to deal with that, right? Jesus condemns all forms of unbelief. And in fact, if we keep reading the conversation, that was a whole issue. John 3.18 says this, just a few verses down. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What is this belief? This really belief in the goodness, the holiness, the salvation of God. And we have to deal with this in our culture and in our lives. Is God altogether good, altogether holy, and altogether righteous at all times? Is He? Well, yeah, of course y'all say (laughs) that. Thank you, I appreciate it. But we have to deal with this 
in the hard times of life, in the times we don't understand because we're finite. He's infinite. We have to decide this. Now we have the Holy Spirit as a witness. We have the word of God. This is where Nicodemus is. I'm going to show you a short clip. This is a difficult clip. The, it's just an a, a interview. It's not, it's not like that one time when I, played, when I played the video of snakes as an illustration, and I thought people were going to get up and leave. It was just an illustration on uh, uh, National Geographic, and, and the snakes came on the screen, and people were like, <laughs> I didn't know I'd freak 47 people out. <laughs> it's just an interview. With R.C. Sproul, he's a great theologian. He just died. Um, I do not agree with everything he says all the time, but no do I agree with everything that anyone says that I put on the screen. I'll prim- uh, give that premise. So this is someone asking him a very difficult question about the goodness of God, about belief in who he is and R.C. Sproul's response to that. This person writes in, tragic, I am trying to reconcile the death of my adult son whom I believe not to be saved with my Christian faith. How do I deal with my anger toward God in this long, dark night of the soul? Repent, and repent in dust and ashes. Crawl over glass in your repentance if you're angry at God. There's never been anything that's happened to you in your whole life including this great tragedy and most painful experience that could ever possibly justify being angry at God. There are 10 million reasons why He should be angry at you. God does not owe us a life without pain and tragedy. He's given a life, us a life of grace and a promise of eternal felicity. And any being who does that for us 100% graciously can never righteously be the object of our anger, only of our gratitude. We understand, humanly speaking, the, the anger, because if you experience anger, it's always caused by some kind of pain. Behind the anger is pain, and you've allowed that pain to produce an anger that will destroy you, and it it has greater consequences than even the loss of the one that you loved so well. So really, you've got to deal with this and understand that God does all things well. And if we were listening carefully to uh, Derek's sermon, where he talked about Genesis 18 and the plea for the sparing of Sodom, you know, the comment that Abraham made, far be it from thee, O God, to do that which is not right. And even Abraham, our father, I don't think had a clue of how far it is from God to do anything wrong. And when we accuse him of it and are mad at him for it, then we don't understand who he is or who we are. 
So I'm, I'm, I couldn't be more, I just, it's, it's devastatingly harmful for anybody to be angry with God, no matter what. This heart of unbelief is the most destructive thing in our culture and our society. It can be in our own heart also as Christians. We, if we assert in our mind, I don't know about the goodness of God or the holiness or righteousness of God or His sovereignty and a plan, that is detrimental to our relationship to Him, right? Does that make sense? And I know that's like a difficult question and a right-in-your-face response, but it's really very similar to what Jesus says here. This heart of unbelief is not going to work, Nicodemus, if you're going to know who I am and know me as Savior. John Stott said it so well. You have it in your notes there. Unbelief is not a misfortune to be pitied. It is a sin to be deplored. Its sinfulness lies in the fact that it contradicts the word of the one true God and thus attributes falsehood to Him. So we want to get rid of that in every form of our evangelism. This is why you can't fake it. You're going to look at people and you're going to say, in their darkest times and in yours, I'm going to tell you about the great, holy righteousness of a graceful God who can save you and brought me out and will bring you out. And you can't fake that. You'll never be able to tell anyone about Jesus until you can look them square in the eye. Come on now. Especially kids. Oh, they know. They know in two seconds if you're real or not. We only send veteran people into children's ministry. We don't want them to get chewed up. <laughs> you have to be able to do that with absolute conviction. I love the way Oral Roberts used to say it. He used to say, you have to know that you know that you know. And then he could speak to someone. How did he become such a great evangelist, his healing ministry and all that? Because he would look at him and say, I know that I know that I know. Right? Jesus condemned all forms of unbelief. I don't want any part of that in my life. Jesus wants, doesn't want any part of that in yours either. All right. Okay, that was heavy for point one. I understand. That was a heavy one. Let's go down to verse two. <laughs> I'm sorry. Point two, verse 11 in John 3. John 3, 11. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. As I said, this Trinitarian conversation here, three we's, the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you don't receive our witness. This is the third of the most assuredly's in the conversation between him and Nicodemus. The absolutely, the truly, truly, it's the third. And in this culture, when you said a third time, oh, it's emphatic. It actually is, you're representing God there. The third most assuredly. You know, Jesus is speaking in such absolutes, such absolutes. This is so contrary to our culture of moral relativism and just relativism, period, that truth can be whatever you want it to be, whatever is good for you. Jesus was the opposite. He spoke in total absolutes. Number two on your notes. Jesus declared his words as absolute truth. He declared his words as absolute truth. 
This is the way Jesus talked. This is the way I want to talk. In a loving, compassionate, direct way. In absolute truth. Max Dupree said, The first responsibility of a leader is to act to defi- define reality. I added accurately. The first responsibility of a leader, it's in your notes, is to accurately define reality. That's what Jesus did. Nicodemus, I want to accurately define reality for you and the situation that you're dealing with. So the question for us is, are we doing this in our evangelism, in our communication with others? This is what Paul did in Philippians 1, and it had wonderful, if you're wondering, does this work? Yes, of course it works. It's Jesus. But this is what Paul did in Philippians 1, and I want to show you all what it did for him, and for not only for him, for everyone around him. So he's under house arrest. He's, this is the easy one, when he's under house arrest in Rome, and he can go in and out, and it's like Club Med. The second time he's in prison, which is the final time, it's very, very difficult. So this is the first time, and this is what he writes in Philippians 1.12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. This has been good. This evangelism style has worked. Listen to what it says. So that it has become evident, clear to everyone, evident to the whole palace guard, a bunch of big bearded Romans. It has become clear to them. I mean, these guys are not easily swayed physically or any other way. It has become clear to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains are in Christ. They know where I stand. They know that what I'm saying is truth. It's so clear to them because I have said it in absolutes. To the rest that my chains are in Christ and most of the brethren in the Lord, not only the palace guard, but most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my change, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. To speak the word without fear that when we speak in absolutes about what we know about absolutes, when we speak of the person of Christ, when we speak about doctrine correctly, when we speak of these things, it is very clear to the lost and very encouraging to brothers in Christ. Jesus declared his words as absolute truth. Let's declare the words of Christ as absolute truth also. And God will bless us for that. All right, verse 14 in John. So Jesus speaks of salvation, then he's going to turn Nicodemus very specifically to an Old Testament scripture and get him to start tracking toward the cross. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now to us that may be a little bit obscure because it's a scripture from Numbers, but not to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a teacher, the teacher in Israel, and that's going to resonate with him, and he's going to be able to understand the person and the work of Christ a whole lot better. Let's go to Numbers 21 to understand this. Numbers 21, 4 through 9. This is a hard time in Israel. Aaron just died. 
Aaron was the spokesperson. He was better with people, most probably, than Moses was. Moses was a stutterer. Moses didn't feel confident dealing with people. Aaron dealt with people all the time. Moses dealt with God. Aaron has just died. The people are on a little shaky ground. They don't know how this is going to work, and the communicator between Moses and the people is gone. As soon as that happens, they get shaky. Numbers 21.4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor to the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way, and the people spoke against God. Underline that. There is the most dangerous unbelief that can happen. They spoke against the goodness or the plan or the righteousness or the sovereignty of God. And against Moses, why have you brought us out, brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul our souls loathe this worthless bread. The bread was not healthy. God was trying to teach them that bread, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, and I'll keep you supernaturally in this place. That's what he was trying to teach them to trust him. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the, of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes away these serp- the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze, or your Bible may say a brass serpent, and put it on a pole. So it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now this is, this is kind of a crazy story. You're like, what's going on with all of this? Bronze was always the picture of judgment in in the Bible. It's the metal. It's always a symbol of judgment in the Bible. The serpent is the greatest symbol and still is of the curse, right? Of Genesis 3, you're going to be cursed on the ground. The serpent didn't always slither on the ground. Didn't look like that, apparently. This is the greatest picture of God's judgment on sin, on the curse. So when Nicodemus hears this picture... He goes, hold on, wait a minute. God's judgment on sin? This is is what you're saying you are? So it's going to click in Nicodemus' mind that Jesus is going to be lifted up. Now, this is important. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. The nature of Jesus did not become sinful. He's incorruptible. He became sin judged. He became the judgment. God put the judgment of Christ of the world on him. So this is the picture here in Numbers. It says, Because the bronze was made with fire, the picture of judgment, and the serpent was the picture of sin, Jesus became sin judged in the same way. You know, I was thinking about why the Lord used 
why God used that one in the culture. He spoke to Nicodemus in his culture. Nicodemus knows the word. It would have clicked in his mind. This is what the most famous probably sermon in America, Jonathan Edwards, years and years ago did. In the colonial times, the, the, right before he's going to really start the first great awakening in America in the 17th century, Jonathan Edwards is a very monotone speaker like this. He stood at the pulpit. He spoke like this. Well, he wrote the sermon, Sinner in the Hands of an Angry God. And it is historically documented that he stood in the big wooden pulpit in New England area and he delivered the sermon like this. And his whole illustration was, this was the illustration, we are like a spider dangling over the fire held by one thin strand of web. This is the judgment of God without Christ. That was the illustration. Now, what time are we dealing with in America? Colonial time. There are no microwaves and no ovens. Everyone has what in their house? A fire. And it's colonial times. Everyone also is dealing with what? Insect, arachnid, spiders. That would have clicked in their mind because that was the world they lived in. Probably every person in their culture had seen those flames and spiders, especially when you relight that fire. If it's been out in the summer, what they relight it, and whatever bugs are in there, they're trying to get out of there. And that would have been the picture, and this is the picture that Jesus used. What was all of this for? Why did Jesus do that? It's so important, and this is the least talked about part of evangelism in, in our culture, probably. Number three on your notes. Jesus preached about sin and judgment. The whole statement, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, was a statement of sin and judgment of sin. We as Christians cannot be successful without talking about sin and judgment. We won't be. Let me give you a quick illustration. Imagine we're all on a plane. We're all getting on a plane. For, let's, let's make it good. First class. Where are we going? Hawaii. That sounds good. Hawaii first class. And the stewardesses come around and they give you a parachute. And they say, this will make your trip more comfortable. Well, you're the only one wearing a parachute. And it's bulky and cumbersome. And you cannot get your seat back in that comfortable position. You know, it's in that takeoff position. And you're like, oh, if I could just lean back a little bit. And you're even more because you've got this big, bulky um, parachute on. Thank you. Parachute. And you notice the other passengers don't have a parachute. And they seem to be enjoying it more. Because the stewardess told you, this will make you more comfortable. That is not salvation nor the gospel. The gospel is that this plane is going down. It is going down in a fiery furnace. Absolutely, 100%, it's going to crash. And the only salvation is that parachute. Now, does that totally change your understanding of why you're wearing that thing? It's totally different. 
And if we tell the world, this will make you more comfortable, Jesus fixes everything. It's a lie. Will he set you free? Yes, he does. He fi- yes, he heals you. He gives you peace. We know that. That's the easy part. But if we come to people and we tell him, he'll fix all your problems. No, there's sin and judgment, the wrath of a holy God. And the only one that was lifted up that can save your soul is Jesus on the cross. And it's crashing. People aren't coming to the Lord because that message has been lost. We are so concerned about offending them. We're so concerned about how they feel. We have to tell them it's crashing. Is is it clear that every man will die and woman will die? Is this true? Is it true that there is an eternal soul and they are destined for heaven or hell and Jesus is the only Savior of the world? Is that absolute truth? Then we have to say that. If we're not, now listen to me, if we're not saying that, according to what Jesus said in John 3, we are not preaching the gospel. And he can't can't bless that. If we want the Spirit of God to move on people, we have to tell them the truth. The truth. This is what happens in this culture. For the sake of political correctness or or offending someone, we go shoot truth in the street and then come back and try to make a conversation. You can't take truth out back and shoot them in the head and expect lives to be changed, right? All right, that's that's as heavy as it's going to get right there. (laughs) Jesus preached about sin and judgment, and we have to also. This is the thing. The Spirit of the Lord is a gentleman, and He lives on the inside of you, and He will give you words if you'll come to Him and say, Okay, Lord, it doesn't mean you're you're yelling and preaching hellfire and brimstone, but it means you come to Jesus and say, Okay, God, the gospel is sin and judgment. How can I communicate this? Because if I don't, it's not the gospel in its entirety. It's so uh, Swiss-cheesed, it may be unrecognizable. All right. Let's go to our last point here, verse 15. 14 and 15 are connected. Do you see? You have to see that in the Bible. He says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So when that is talked about, When that is communicated, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus didn't leave Nicodemus in a horrible state of fear and dread over the picture of the fiery serpents. You see, the the craziness of that picture is, is is there anything the Israelites could do for their own salvation? No. This is a total act of faith. You're being bit by a fiery serpent and you're told to look, to just look? That is a total act of justification of salvation through grace and faith alone. See, that's the gospel. That's That's what it is, saying... You know, they're Israelites. They're, they're Jewish. They're number-calculating, logical people. <laughs> they said, I'm not doing that. That's ridiculous. That's silly. That's what God said to do. That's your salvation. For Israel, their physical salvation was, look at the serpent. 
That, that is what our um, medical symbol today is. What's the medical symbol today? Serpents. That's where that comes from, Numbers 21. Because look and be healed. That's where it comes from. So that whosoever believes in him and does what he says and looks, like Jesus said, looks at that serpent should not perish but have everlasting life. The picture of the curse, the picture of judgment come in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. Number four in your notes. Jesus preached salvation in his completed work. All of that to get Nicodemus to a place of justification. That's in right standing, right? In right standing, that's what justification means between me and God. I'm in right standing by faith in Jesus Christ through His grace. Isaiah said it so well in Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, 22. Look to me and be saved. Wow. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. That does not talk about... This is Isaiah. He's not, he doesn't say Israel. All the ends of the earth. Salvation will be... Through the person of Jesus Christ. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That to me every knee shall bow. That's Jesus quoting in Philippians. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. That oath in our day may sound like the sinner's prayer. Let's stand up. Well, Stephen, you stopped at John 3.15. John 3.16. 16. (laughs) I'll illustrate John 3.16 with a story told a while back. I love it. It helps me understand the gospel so well. Dr. Holden was a missionary in Papua New Guinea. He was a Bible translator, long-term missionary in the jungles and swamp, we get that, of Papua New Guinea. Many weeks, months there, he struggled because that particular tribe had no word for believe. It didn't exist in their language. How am I going to, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten said that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in fact, in John 3, 16, the word believe is used seven times. Seven times. Believe or believed in just in that chapter. What am I going to do? I'm a missionary translating the Bible. And these people don't have belief. How in the world are they ever going to come to Jesus? Sitting in his office one day, one of the tribal leaders comes in tired after an unsuccessful hunting trip. You're always tired when you didn't catch fish or didn't kill anything. (laughs) He plops himself down in a chair next to Dr. Holden and mumbles something. Doctor said, what'd you say? He said, oh, it's been a long day. 
And it's so nice just to be able to put all my weight into this chair. The light bulb went off. Dr. Holden said, that's it. That's it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever throws all their weight into, I mean just unloads themselves, throws themselves back in total trust and in total abandonment into that chair and puts all their weight on. That's the word he translated. That person will have everlasting life. This is what we must proclaim. This is what we must proclaim. You've got to throw yourself. Now, this is the key. If you do that, then you can tell others. If you live like that, then it'll be easy. Say, oh God, I just throw myself down. I mean, I just let all my weight fall to you into that chair. Let's spend some time with Jesus. come to the Lord and decide we're going to serve him because he's worthy not of anything we get or don't get let's come to the Lord and decide he's holy and righteous in all he does and says let's come to the Lord and throw ourselves down plop down, lean back put all our weight upon Whatever it takes, Lord. I'm willing. Here I am. Send me, Lord. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? I throw all myself upon you. Use me, God. He always answers that prayer. That prayer of surrender. 
Let's sing a chorus as we close our service. Make this our prayer. I am chosen, not forsaken. Have a great day. If you need prayer, someone will be up here.